episode 41, Sunday, August 12th, 2012. Welcome to the XJ Talk Show. And now here's your host, Tony Mutteroy on XJTalk.com. Well, greetings and salutations. It's a, another Sunday and uh, time for another XJTalk.com podcast. Uh, very proud of myself for doing these shows weekly. Uh, I'm uh, trying to keep it simple so uh, it won't be so uh, such a daunting process of doing these things weekly. And uh, I just want to thank the, uh, the members of XJ Talk and uh, the people that listen to the podcast for your kind words and uh, also, too, jumping in and uh, participating in the show. It makes it uh, easier for me to do the show, and it makes it more entertaining for me. I don't feel like I'm all by myself. I, I understand that you can be kind of uh, nervous about being on the show, but I want to assure you, anybody that wants to do an interview... It's just like having a conversation, uh, a conversation that uh, scores of uh, people will listen to, uh, of course, but at the time, it's not live, it's just a recording, and, and really, it's just a, a conversation between two people. So, you know, think about being on the show, uh, no matter what your uh, Jeep uh, subject or story might be. So I thought I'd give you an update. Uh, I know that uh, I've, I've spoken about the uh, ARB air locker that uh, I got uh, for a cool $500 or I guess $524 with shipping and uh, how it came in and I was really disappointed because I thought it uh, I thought I'd been scammed with a, uh, an, a, a it, at least it was an airlocker it was just the wrong one anyway it was a uh, uh, an ARB airlocker for a Dana 30 so uh, I uh, just to give you a recap, I contacted the seller, and he says, oh, my God, I sent you the wrong one. Here, I got this the right one. I'll get it sent to you, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that all has worked out, and I have received the RD93, which is the uh, ARB airlocker for the Chrysler 8.25. I uh, contacted ARB and gave them the serial number because, you know, again, nothing against the, the eBay seller. I'm just doing this to protect myself. I wanted to make sure there were no... Um, Chinese copies that uh, that they were you know literally putting the ARB uh, information on them to make them appear to be ARB lockers, but I contacted uh, ARB tech support and gave them the serial number and they came back and said it was uh, manufactured in 2009. It's the exact same locker that we we manufacture t- today, and there's uh, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And they also added that as far as they knew, there were no um, copies or forgeries of the actual ARB locker. Now. Uh, there are some aftermarket um, copies, but they are uh, not uh, identical copies, or at least they're they're not being they're not called um, ARBs. They're called you know whatever the other name brands are. And if you haven't been on YouTube and, and looked at some of those um, tests that ARB have have done between those uh, inexpensive lockers and their lockers, you should go on and, and have a look. Very interesting and uh, really gives you a good feeling uh, to know what uh, an ARB airlocker will go through um, and stay in one piece because uh, obviously if you pay a thousand dollars for a locker 
you would much rather have a, a couple hundred dollar, um, if it's a, a standard axle, or better yet, a, um, a U-joint, uh, like on a front axle. You'd much rather lose one of those than a $1,000 locker, because chances are very good that you won't be replacing that $1,000 locker, or if you do, it won't be anytime soon. I guess if you have a corporate sponsor, you could. But uh, uh, let's just put it this way. If I was going to have to spend $1,000 for a locker, I would buy one, but it would not would not have been now. Uh, the only reason why I'm getting one now is because I got it for literally uh, half of the list price. Very excited about it. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to potentially installing it myself with some help, uh, of course, with somebody that uh, has done uh, uh, dif- differential installs before. Uh, but but I want to do the work. I want to do uh, the installation and the setup and learn how it's done so I will have that confidence uh, of being able to do it again in the future with the proper tools, usually the proper measuring uh, devices. Now, I will say this. I know that you can set up the uh, the differentials without uh, without those measuring devices. I forget what they're called. Um, but uh, I would just feel a lot better. I think that takes a lot of experience and uh, a good feel of, of uh, how things feel when they're set up right. But I, I much prefer little gauges and needles and stuff for me to, to tell that this is right. But that was uh, the, the guy that set up my uh, 456 gears on both my front and rear differentials. Didn't use a measuring device at all. He put it in by hand, and uh, he did it by feel. And uh, we we did use the the paint to see to make sure the uh, uh, the ring and pinion were meshing together properly. And it looked good it, from what I had seen uh, reading about it. It looked like it was supposed to. So, and it's been four years, I guess now, and haven't had a bit of a problem with them. So they were done very well, even though I was very nervous at the time because I didn't see those those instruments that I had read about <laughs> in the installation of these, of the divs. But, you know, you live and learn. So it's it's all what you know. Experience. And, of course, that's what I'm hoping to get. So, anyway, ARB airlockers in, and uh, I have sent the Dana 30 ARB locker back to the uh, eBay seller. Uh, hopefully he'll get that uh, in short order, and uh, he will, uh, the next time he goes to sell uh, something on eBay, he'll check to make sure he's sending out the right thing, because I know it cost him double shipping to uh, to send uh, the first locker and then the second locker, and uh, uh, because I got such a great deal on the air locker, and uh, I, I just didn't feel like I, I wanted him to make him pay for the shipping of the wrong locker back to him. By all rights, that would have been the right thing to do, and he offered but I said, no, I'll pay for that and, uh, and have. So anyway, uh, there has been, uh, uh, I saw a recent post on, uh, xjtalk.com and, uh, I thought, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast and some of you may not have seen it on the site. And I thought I would mention this because it's a very, very cheap upgrade to your headlights. And I think we all, uh, all of us that love our Jeep Cherokees hate, absolutely hate the dim lights, uh, headlights that come on those things. They are horrible. Uh, they are little glowing yellow embers in a, uh, otherwise roaring fire. (laughs) It's just, oh, it's just maddening to not be able to see. In fact, one of the things I was concerned about whenever I was uh, getting my custom bumper made was I was going to be losing the two, uh, factory fog lights that were in the, uh, the stock bumper. And I really used those things for driving everywhere. It really made a difference in me being able to see. 
So uh, one of the things I was going to try to do was, uh, you know, I think I saw a, a Sylvania Silver Star ad on television and blah, 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 and I thought I would try that out. They were, uh, seems like they were like $20 a light um, at the time. I got them. I put them in, and I think that I think I actually installed those. Yeah, I did. I installed those before I got my custom bumper, and you know they kind of had a wider light to them, and uh, I couldn't really tell if they were any brighter. Uh, but uh, you know, okay, fine. That's the you know, it, it's a little better, and I was able to get through um, with the uh, the cool uh, aftermarket winch bumper that uh, uh, Detours at DetoursUSA.com made for me. And, uh, you know, it's fine, but I still missed that extra light that I had with the, uh, the, uh, fog lights. Uh, They call them fog lights, even though they're not yellow. I guess they don't have to be. Uh, I don't guess they have to be called fog lights uh, or they have, they don't have to be called, uh, uh, they don't have to be yellow to be called fog lights. It's just what I have in my head. So at any rate, um, they, uh, uh, I went ahead and got those Sylvanias and put it in there. And then later when the, uh, I, I got the custom bumper, I installed it and this made it made do with the, the light that I had. And then I had read an article. Uh, I don't remember. I don't know if it was certainly the article was on another Jeep site, but I, I don't know if I became aware of it, uh, over there or somebody posted it on XG talk. And then I found out about it. Uh, but anyway, it was about using a, uh, a better wiring harness. Now, of course, you can build your own, and uh, but uh, and I think ARB has one that's about a hundred bucks that that you can buy with their. Um, I, I guess their ARB headlights now the uh, the H four uh, lights that uh, uh, take their own bulbs in the back, so they're not sealed uh, beams like come in the uh, the Cherokee. But uh, they used to be called IPF uh, headlights, so. Um, you know, you can you can buy that hundred dollar harness to go with the IPF uh, headlights, and um, that's actually what I did. That's the direction I went in. Uh, I took the Silver Stars out, put them in uh, uh, the the boxes that the IPFs came in, and put them on the shelf, and uh, installed some uh, IPF headlights that were like uh, forty bucks a piece, not including bulbs. And then I I got uh, eighty dollars worth of uh, uh, bulbs, which were um, 80 watt low beam, 110 watt high beam, and I knew that I was going to have to upgrade the wiring harness because uh, the of the wattage of the bulbs. So I could get the one from ARB for 100 bucks, or from reading this other article, there was uh, a harness uh, made by LMC Truck, or at least sold by LMC Truck. Uh, I believe it's lmctruck.com, and um, they're actually made for Chevrolet pickups. So somebody had had uh, used that to upgrade their their wiring harness, and uh, the really cool thing is is that uh, you plug this harness in to your existing headlight harness, so there's no wiring that you have to do all the way to the the headlight switch inside the uh, the cab of the Jeep. You just plug that in, and it provides power to the harness, and then the harness knows that you want the headlights on because you you know you've pulled the little uh, selector switch out, and that relay kicks on and tells uh, the harness to pull the power for it's directly connected to the battery. So basically, you've got uh, your new headlights hooked up, or even the old headlights hooked up directly to the battery, and you're using the old headlight harness 
to trigger it, to turn it on and off. So I thought that was a great idea. And it was 40 bucks. And when I say 40 bucks, it's not really 40 bucks. It's like 30 bucks with uh, $10 shipping. So even with the price of the harness and the shipping, it was less than half of what the ARB headlight harness was. So I was a little concerned because it's kind of like the, the ARB airlocker thing. Uh, you know, it may be, maybe this is too good to be true. It's, it's really cheap. But anyway, I ordered one. I used that to hook up to my IPF headlights and, and those bulbs, and very bright. Uh, so bright that uh, people would actually move out of the way while they were talking on their cell phone and in the fast lane going below the speed limit. Mission accomplished. <laughs> so it does. It helps that the the headlights are you know uh, truck height too, not not down low. But uh, I I didn't do it to blind anybody. Uh, but I do like being able to see, and I do like it when people get out, get the hell out of the the fast lane. Just get off the damn phone, drive. If you want to talk on the phone, God bless you. Do it in the middle or the uh, the rightmost lane. Don't do it in the left-hand lane. I don't care if you have a turn coming up within the next 50 miles. Move over. If you can't think well enough to drive and talk on the phone, okay, I'm calming down. I'm not going to rant about that anymore. Anyway, the air horn's coming, though. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, that that was that. You know, And I probably spent close to $300 upgrading those headlights but but damn it i can see now i guarantee you i can see and uh, that in combination you know i could put the high beams on that's 110 watts and then i have uh four uh 100 watt uh kc um highlights uh on the um bar of the uh custom bumper so i can turn those on the the two in the middle are uh long range um spots and the two on the outside are um, wide angle. I don't know what you call them. I forget what you call them. But anyway, they, they're not spots. So I, I have a nice uh, wide range of lights there on front. So with those six lights up front, that's uh, 600 watts, yeah, 620 watts of light. And I forget how many candle power it is, uh, but it's enough to sterilize somebody. So I can't do it to, to, to women of childbearing years. I can't hit them with the, all those lights at one time. Otherwise, they're not going to have children. Same thing with the men. Makes them feel all warm inside. Might be some microwave leakage. I'm not sure. But anyway, so uh, I got plenty of lights on the front. Uh, and, th- and thankfully, with the, the two headlights I have, that's really all I need to use. But I certainly have a, light, a, a lot of light at my uh, fingertips, so to speak. Well, no, not so to speak. Literally at my fingertips. But I wanted to, uh, whenever we got the, the 1999 uh, Cherokee, and especially after my 18-year-old daughter started driving that Cherokee, I wanted to do something with those headlights because, well, you know, it's the, the Jeep curse. Those, the headlights are dim. But I didn't want to go and spend $300 on lights. So I knew that if you uh, install the harness, you're going to be uh, providing more current capacity to the lights that are there. And I have read that the, those, that the stock lights will be brighter. But I thought, well, there's no sense in doing just another LMC harness, which, by the way, if you're if you're uh, wondering what LMC harness I used, that is three six dash three five eight zero. 
So if you go to lmctrucks.com, you can look up 36-3580. And that's the, the, the harness that I used. Anyway, I got another harness. And uh, since I had the Silver Stars uh, that I had on my 98, I said, well, you know, what the hell? I'll put them on there. So I installed those and the harness one day. And then uh, I was hoping to see, you know, net cash outlay now since I had already purchased the, the Silver Stars. So the net, net cash outlay was only 40 bucks for the harness. And, and gosh, I don't guess it was like 30 minutes of my time to install the harness. It went very quickly. So um, tried those. And when it got dark, I turned the lights on and I was amazed. Uh, I don't think they're quite as bright as my IPF headlights. Uh, but they're close, and the they have a very nice uh, bright white light. Not a blue light, but a white light. And and frankly, from what I've read, you really don't want a blue light because our eyes are more tuned to yellows than they are blues. So even if the you have a nice bright blue light, you're still going to be able to see better with a yellow light. The same thing I was talking about as far as the uh, fog lights being yellow. The reason why fog lights are yellow is, like I said, our eyes are more tuned to yellow. So whenever it's you're in a foggy situation and you're shining out a, a yellow light, it allows you to see better because of the, the way your eyes are, are built. At any rate, um, I, uh, I didn't try to jinx it uh, by saying to my daughter or my wife about how much brighter these lights look to me. I just said, okay, it's done. Uh, let me know how you like them. And both said that it was an incredible light boost. So if you were going out to buy the lights yourself, you would need to spend the, um, it was 20 bucks. Um, yeah, I think they were 20 bucks a piece, uh, four or five years ago. I don't think they're, they've increased in price that much. So, uh, let's say 40 bucks for that and $40 for the harness, 80 bucks. You're seeing a, a huge increase in light output from your Jeep, uh, more than worth it. In fact, when we got the 2003, uh, Jeep Wrangler, the TJ, it also suffered from, uh, the lights not being very bright. I don't think it was quite as bad as the, as the Cherokee, but, um, it, it wasn't very bright. So I did the same thing. Uh, I got another LMC harness, same, uh, model that I told you the three, six, three, five, eight, zero. And this time I got two round Sylvania silver stars. Uh, I think I got it from Amazon and, uh, installed those and boom, just as bright as what I was seeing on the, the 99. And, uh, you know, again, nearly as bright as what you were, what you would see coming from the 98 and the IPF headlights with the. 80 watt, 110 watt bulbs. So, um, and again, about 80 bucks, about an $80 upgrade. So somebody was talking about having a dim headlight and a bright headlight. And it's, uh, I know it's unrelated to what I'm talking about, but it made me think about this and I wasn't sure I talked about it before. And, uh, I know how important it is to be able to see, especially at night, uh, when you're driving around and, and this is a huge, huge light upgrade. And, and I, I, I really endorse it. Uh, from my own personal experience and uh, please let me know how it works out for you and uh, letting me know of course you can post on the site or if you'd like to call in and uh, tell me that you've done the upgrade and 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 if what difference you saw that would be great too and we could play it on the show that number is 530-675-4102 
530-675-4102. It's just a voicemail line. Nobody's going to call. I mean, nobody's going to answer. Nobody's going to call. Where'd that come from? Uh, nobody's going to answer it. So don't worry about that. Just call, leave your message. Uh, you might want to mention your name uh, from the uh, the forum, and uh, we'll play it on the show, more than likely. So anyway, uh, we're going to uh, have uh, our uh, Jeep tip here in a minute, and I think you'll find it uh, very, very interesting. Of a bitch. Jeep tips, and we have uh, Steve 4.3 LXJ with us today uh, with uh, this week's Jeep tip. Hello, Steve. Hi. This week, I'd like to talk about uh, chasing down death wobble. Uh, that's a topic that comes up all the time with uh, XJs, and uh, particularly XJs that are lifted, um, and it can have several causes. The uh, front end. Uh, suspension on a Cherokee is, and the Grand Cherokees, are uh, a four-link that is, if it, everything is right, they work well. But when things start wearing out and getting loose, then they don't work so well, and they can 
be uh, they can develop some very annoying habits like uh, shaking violently when you hit little bumps or tar strips in the road or something at uh, usually at about 45 to 55 miles an hour, which kind of makes a vehicle undrivable. And, and of course, the death wobble is from the, the, the notion that you're going to die. That's how violent the, the wobble is. Oh, yeah. And it's a side-to-side wobble, and the steering wheel will literally jerk back and forth in your hand or hands. Oh, yeah, and, and you think the front end is coming out of the Jeep. It isn't literally, but it feels like it, and, and you're sure at any moment that you're going to leave the front axle back on the road somewhere. It's a very strange feeling. It is, and, and it really what it is is it's a, uh, a harmonic uh, vibration. An oscillation, and, yeah. Well, yeah, it's an oscillation, and it's like a sound wave, really. Um, uh, a good illustration, I think, is is the uh, vocal cords in your your larynx. Um, normally, when you're breathing, there's air going through there all the time, but whether or not you make a noise with your vocal cords depends on how tight they are. If they're too tight, they won't make any noise. If they're too loose, they won't make any noise. So they have to have a, a specific set of conditions. And death wobble is the same way. It needs some specific conditions in order to happen. And then when it does, it sets up its own resonance and just keeps going until you either speed up, sometimes you can get rid of it that way, or you slow down. And when you slow down, that would be the same thing as relaxing your vocal cords and then just drawing air through them. So it's, it's, it's really a, a harmonic vibration. And... So in order to get rid of it, you just have to get rid of the conditions that allow it to happen. And, and I, uh, I think a lot of the times people think that that steering stabilizer is the 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 cause, in as much as it's not doing its job, and the solution, which is replacing it or making sure it's tight. That that is true, and he uh, put that on there as a band aid just because, um, if there was any little slight problem the the steering stabilizer will mask it but it won't get rid of it entirely and steering stabilizers have been being put on four-wheel drives now for i don't know the last 40 years or so they've been on the market but a but a properly adjusted uh front end system will not uh will not have def wobble even without a harmonic uh uh, not a harmonic balancer a a steering stabilizer is that correct That, that is correct if it's if it's adjusted right um, you have to look at the system holistically. A lot of people try to say, well, I'm going to fix just, just one thing, and that's going to fix it. And it, there may be a number of small things that are contributing to it, and you have to address all of them in order to get rid of it. And the, the first one is, is tires. A lot of people will run tires forever. I'm one of them. I had my last set of tires for eight years. And, uh, ran them for a long, long time, and they finally just, they were getting kind of bad and uh, making enough racket that I thought I had wheel bearings going out. I really didn't. I just needed new tires. So uh, uh, as tires get worn and they get aged, they can start making some funny vibrations. They can get out of balance and out of round, and this in itself, if you have a little bit of slop in the rest of the steering uh, components, that alone can set up a death wobble at 
the usual speed, and it doesn't take much to do that. Just a little tar strip on the road, and, and it can start. And there really is no warning to it at all. It just happens. Yeah, it, it happens. <laughs> and there's, you know, the only thing you can do is speed up or slow down. <laughs> I've never had the and, courage to speed up. Oh, I've, I've tried it. <laughs> uh, sometimes it works. Uh, I've had death wobbles so bad I had to come to a stop. Wow. But uh, that that was after a long day of wheeling and my uh, track bar mount on the frame was coming off. Gotcha. And so I, when I got it home, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm lucky I made it. <laughs> so, but, so, uh, so tires would be the first thing to look at, and I would assume that would also mean uh, having them balanced, perhaps rotated or rotating them yourself. Yeah, you need to rotate them or... Uh, or uh, or and or balance them, and the other thing is that they need to be properly aligned, um, especially if they're towed out. Uh, that can cause death wobble also, because this, the wheels will want to steer one way and then they'll want to steer the other, and and you know it'll it'll want to steer to the outside, and so um, proper alignment is is the next thing you have to address. And uh, once you get those two things, then you can start looking at the mechanical components. And uh, well, let, let me what, ask you this real quick: uh, With is tow the only thing you really need to worry about? Is that the most critical part for de- the death wobble, or is uh, um, the other? And, and I'm I'm drawing a blank. I know camber comes to mind, but I don't. There's one of them, one uh, of the three that we can't yeah. adjust. <laughs> I was going to address caster, but I, but since you brought it up, I'll, I'll talk about it now. Um, many times when people lift a Jeep, uh, they'll get a, like a budget boost or something, or they'll get, say, like a, a two or three inch lift, maybe some three inch coils and, and maybe an add a leaf or something like that. And, uh, then they'll get the idea after doing a little searching, well, hey, why can't I go up another couple of inches? I'll just buy some spacers and some shackles. And I'll go up another two inches. I'll have a five-inch lift, and I'll have less than 500 bucks in the whole thing. And that sounds good in theory, but there, when you get to the geometry of the front end, what happens is that uh, because the uh, suspension links are not parallel in the horizontal plane there, uh, what happens is that as the front end drops, it begins to uh, draw the bottom of the axle back faster than the top would, and so it changes the caster angle, and so it, it rotates the axle forward. And uh, this could be fairly obvious to you. You can tell when you when you have uh, not enough caster by looking at your coil springs. If they're bowed forward real bad and, and touching your uh, uh, sway bar and, and so forth, um, then you need to do something with your caster angle because it's not right. And the thing about that caster angle is is when the front axle is rotated back a little bit, um, the physics of the thing is is that the it forces the... Uh, tires to kind of toe in a little bit. It keeps everything tight. So that angle is very important. When you tow it, when you rotate the axle to the front and you lose your, your camber, I mean your, your caster angle, then your tires want to dive to the outside. 
because of gravity. And that also will set you up for death wobble. Okay, so there's toe, which is the, the, the distance between the front of the, the wheel and the back of the wheel, which, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, you should have your, your wheels uh, or tires towed in slightly, like maybe, what is it, a half an inch or, or less? No, it's an eighth of an inch. An eighth of an inch. I, I was thinking eighth, but that sounded like it was too small. But anyway, so a, a little bit, which makes it self-centering, I believe. And the, uh, the caster is what you were just talking about, right? Right, that's the uh, the tilt of the of the axle. Okay, so you have to set the 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 caster angle, and if that's not right, it can also set up uh, a a situation for death wobble. And I guess it's yeah. camber that we can't adjust. Right, camber is non adjustable unless you bend the axle right. housing itself. <laughs> and some people do adjust the camber, but it's not a good thing. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, uh, used to live in a town where there was a shop that would adjust your camber angle on your four-wheel drive, and they would actually bend the housing slightly. They had uh, big I-beams in the floor and big uh, hydraulic jacks and so forth, and uh, they were great front-end guys. I bet. We were having front-end problems. You took it down there. I guess guess it was so slight you didn't have to worry about the the axles rubbing the tubes or wearing out uh, the, um, the seals on the inside. Well, it, it, I mean, they would do it within reason. <laughs> you know, usually on a four-wheel drive, sometimes you would have maybe a degree or, or two at the most out, and, and so they would just uh, they would adjust that for you, and they would do the caster and the toe-in, and, and when you drove your straight-axle four-wheel drive out of there, it was right, and it steered well. Man, I bet. Uh, I, I think those guys are probably dead by now, but... Uh, <laughs> they sure had a great shop, and uh, and they were they were known for quite a quite a ways as ones to go to for front end uh, work to be done. Yeah, I bet you they got a lot. Of, I bet you they got a lot of business just because of that. That's great. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, the next thing to check is is uh, your steering box adjustment, and uh, generally, uh, I don't know how many times I've address this on our forum or any other forum, really. Um, a lot of people just drive their Cherokee for 300,000 miles and, and say, you know, my steering wheel has about a quarter of a turn of play in it. And uh, it's because they have wear in their steering box and it's never been adjusted. So the steering box needs to be adjusted so it's tight because a loose steering box can also contribute to death wobble. Uh, although it's a, a minor um, cause, it still is something that contributes. So uh, uh, need to make sure that that steering box is tight so that uh, the uh, pitman arm and the drag link can't be flopping around there all the time. And then the next thing to be done after all that is done, after you've adjusted the steering box, you've checked the tires and, and and the alignment and so forth, and got all the angles right. And if that still hasn't fixed it, the next thing to do is to have somebody uh, saw the wheel back and forth uh, while you look under the front end. And you shouldn't see anything moving that's not supposed to. 
the wheels should be going back and forth, the tie rod should be tight and shouldn't have any loose tie rod ends or anything like that. And also, you should not have the track bar moving on the axle or in the mount on the frame. Right. Basically, any, 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 basically any place there's a tie rod end, those are uh, little housings that go around a, a ball inside, and those things will wear, especially if you don't lubricate them properly. And if they, if, if they move, that's what you're looking for is, is that movement inside the, uh, those two pieces moving independently of one another. Well, there's another thing that can happen. In fact, I just talked to a guy uh, a couple of days ago. This happened to him, and, and uh, it's happened to me too. And, and that is that there's a tie rod end on the frame side of the uh, track bar. It's the upper mount right. the track bar. And those things can get egg-shaped too and get loose. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you have to fix that, or you're going to probably get some death wobble, and, and it's going to feel really bad because you're going to have metal clunking against metal, and, and so it'll make it even worse. So all of those things have to be tight. And then the last thing to check is the uh, uh, upper and lower uh, suspension arm bushings. Make sure that they're tight, too. Well, that's interesting. I did not know about that one. Well, it, it's a. What can happen is you can get um, the axle actually rotating forward and backward, and that can, if you have some other things that are loose, um, say like maybe a loose steering box and that kind of thing, particularly, that will change the. Uh, direction of the wheels as that axle rotates. And so that can set up an oscillation also and, and give you, in effect, the same depth wobble that you would get with, say, a, a loose track bar. And then there's there's one other thing to check, too, and, and that uh, shows up a lot of times after lifts. Um, many times people will put a drop pitman arm on, or they will get a a uh, new track bar that has a drop mount that is lower than uh, the the stock position and uh, and not lower the uh, or not put a drop pitman arm to match it. What you need to do is to make sure that the pitman arm is the same length it is from the factory. But if you've done any custom work, it has to be the same length as your drag length, and it also has to be. Uh, at the exact same angle, so that if you connect the mounting points of the ends of the track bar with the ends of the uh, drag link, that it forms a parallelogram. That's like a rectangle that's been at the top shoved one way. Right. And also, too, it might be kind of hard to see because uh, the track bars, at least the, the aftermarket track bar that I put on mine, is a, a curvy thing. I know they make some some straight. Um, well, I'm thinking of track bar and the drag link, two two different things. It, it's actually the track bar and the uh, drag link need to be parallel, right? The mounting points. Right. Well, but I mean, as far well, as looking at the bar, it's hard to tell because the track bar usually has a bend in it. So you really that's need. That's why you got to measure the. Uh, yeah, that's what. That is what. Surface and measure the uh, points of uh, of attachment. Right. So that's, that, I was trying to explain what, what you were talking about as far as mounting points. <clears throat> so it'd be like if you took a, 
uh, a piece of string and went from the two mounting points on the track bar and the two mounting points on the uh, between the pitman arm and where the drag link attaches to the uh, the tie rod um, in in the stock configuration it, it's attached there so those two lines uh, would have to be parallel and that's what you mean as far as measuring the from the connection points yeah and and the same length uh, I built my own track bar which happens to be straight um, because I was having so much trouble with my stock one and uh, uh, it's exactly parallel and exactly the same length and and I doesn't matter what I hit I never have depth wobble anymore you know I don't know to me a straight track bar just makes more sense and it sounds like it seems like to me it'd be a lot stronger than anything with a bend in it but you know uh well it would be mine is mine is DOM tuning <laughs> so it's not going anywhere but uh that is that is true um the straight track bar would be a much nicer thing i'm not sure why they bend ours so much i think they're overbent personally well, I overbent my, I overbent one of mine and uh, got a replacement. So, um, yeah, I, I really wasn't worried about it until I bent it. And it's pretty easy to bend too. Yeah, the the, the stock stuff when you uh, when you start wheeling, particularly with a lift, um, it doesn't hold up all that well. And and that brings up a, a point too that that as you lift that vehicle, all those stresses. Um, on there show up because the angle of that track bar and that drag length increases with the lift. And that's many times why an unlifted rig is driving fine, but once you lift it, uh, because of those changes in angles, then uh, your death wobble will show up. So at what point should you actually uh, change the steering stabilizer to to, uh, help the situation? Would that be a last step? Yeah, um, if you uh, take the end of the steering stabilizer loose and, it, and it's not behaving like a nice stiff shock, then change it. But if it's still stiff, you know, and acting like it's got quite a bit of resistance and you don't need to change it, you need to address something else. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to ask you, um, when you say check for any loose parts, um, my experience with at least uh, finding my uh, my dead spot in my steering wheel with the, the pitman arm, my drop pitman arm being loose, uh, I was very surprised to find that a very minute, almost invisible amount of movement in the pitman arm caused a large gap in my, or the dead spot in my steering wheel. So uh, my question is, uh, you don't, uh, I'm, I'm wondering how much movement you're actually looking for on your tie rod ends, your pitman arm, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm thinking like a sixteenth of an inch uh, movement would be enough to cause death, death wobble. Yeah, it would. Um, as far as tie rod ends go, zero movement. It ought to be completely solid. So any slight uh, movement uh, from those slight two pieces. They have to be replaced, yeah. yeah. And they're, they're very easy to replace. And they're not that expensive. I think uh, I got a couple of Moog uh, uh, tie rod ends for my new track bar, or uh, not track bar, my new uh, uh, tie rod, and I think they were like thirty-five bucks a piece. So it's it's not a break the bank type thing. Uh, it's going to be more than a, a steering stabilizer, but um, you're going to be a lot safer. I mean, I, it was a long time ago, but I actually had a, a tie rod end come apart on me on a, uh, a 
a 72 Nova. And that was a weird feeling driving down I-10 with one steering wheel working. <laughs> yeah, that would uh, certainly wake you up. That was, uh, so you need to, to take care of your tie rod ends. And it'll it'll uh, help get you home and perhaps keep you out of uh, harm's way. Yeah, got to keep them greased if, if they're greasable. That's what I wasn't doing, but I was only like 16 at the time. <laughs> yeah. Didn't know any better. <laughs> well, I got a mighty mite sitting in the shop with, with a dry tie rod in. It probably hasn't been greased in 20 years, so. Things like that happen. And now for a disclaimer. Jeep tips is for entertainment purposes only. If you choose to follow these tips, man up and take the responsibility for your own actions. If you cannot or you feel that working on your Jeep is beyond your abilities, seek the help or advice of a trained certified mechanic. Okay, now on to our interview with Rob, the God 16 uh, from XJTalk.com. Um, I'll, I'll warn you though, we, we kind of did it again. And when I say we, I mean me, um, got carried away, uh, having a very interesting conversation with, uh, uh, another xjtalk.com member. And we, we ran a lot longer than what I had anticipated. Uh, so we're going to be doing part one and I apologize. I, I hate to do that to you guys, but, um, I didn't really think that editing it out, uh, it was, an hour and 16 minutes worth of uh, interview. And I just thought the whole thing was interesting. And I didn't think that uh, editing it down to 30 minutes or so would be a very, um, it would rob you of the, of the entire uh, interview. And uh, so we're going to split it up into two part, two parts. And uh, this week we'll have uh, obviously the, uh, the first part with uh, Rob. Well, we have Rob, uh, the God 16, uh, is his username on XJ Talk, uh, for interview tonight. He was uh, good enough to answer the request for a uh, interview, just kind of out of the blue um, response, and very happy to uh, hear from you, Rob, and uh, thanks for uh, being on the show tonight. Sure, no problem. So, Rob, uh, we were chatting a little bit before we hit the old record button, and uh, you were ta- talking about your Jeep and... Uh, your plans to uh, uh, be buried in it, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about be buried, but we're gonna. I'm going to the moon, and I'm coming back. Maybe even, to, you know. Um, well, and we were talking about the costs of a new vehicle, and yeah. we were out on a bike ride tonight, and uh, you know, some of those new trucks are sixty-two thousand dollars, and uh, I'm not getting another car payment, another Jeep payment. I'm not doing it. I tell my kids that, uh, like, if I see a, something on the in the newspaper or on TV, I tell them anytime you see something that says uh, up to twelve thousand dollars off, that's something that's very very expensive because <laughs> because <laughs> it's it's going to be more than twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, you know, I fix it from time to time. I work on it from time to time. And my neighbor and uh, we're we're good friends, so I'm not trying to insult him or anything, but. He'll come over once in a while, and he'll be like, Rob, why don't you just get rid of it and get a new vehicle? Now, keep in mind, they've had four vehicles in the time I've had one. So I, I said, I'll tell you what, when you get six vehicles, I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah. You know, it's a kind of a keeping up with the Joneses, and I'm not keeping up with the Joneses. So, well, well, that's part of it, and I think it's a bit of a trap, too. They, um, they, 
they've set it up with insurance and and so on and so forth. It's like I was telling you um, before. I like my Jeep. I've had it since 98, and I guess around 2000 or so, uh, maybe around 2003 or so, I decided I was just going to keep it and, and, and keep uh, <laughs> working on it and just you know, right. keep it from now on. And then I started thinking, well, what happens if I'm in a wreck? And well, then what ha- you know, all the time and effort I put into it is, is going to be basically gone. I mean, I'm sure there'll be something to salvage from it, depending on how bad the wreck is. And then the other thing is, what if it's stolen? And how much am I actually going to get back for that if right. it is stolen? So in, in, in your mind, anyway, you start thinking, well, now, if I didn't have a vehicle that stood out, that if it looked a lot like more of the modern-day vehicles, maybe it would be less attractive for somebody to steal. And certainly if it didn't have a bunch of aftermarket stuff on it, it might be a more... But you wouldn't want it then. Yeah, that's kind of the point. But but you can also get into the mindset of, I'm just going to be a, a, a clone, uh, a sheep, a follower, and I'm just going to buy the new vehicle, have the full insurance on it, and if something happens to it, I might be out 500 bucks and I get a brand new replacement. And it's it's the disposable throwaway thing instead of the, yeah. this is part of who I am, uh, my time and effort, and um, well, uh, even uh, researching on the internet or researching, talking to friends uh, on XJ Talk about what they've done to their Jeeps, and hey, that sounds interesting, I'm going to do that to mine, and and you've you've researched and you've done and you've something you've engineered re-engineered the vehicle and there's a lot to be said for that. Right, right. Well, you know, I don't like to be the cheapskate, but I'm just not going to get another payment. I can't do it. I can do so much with 450 bucks. And we we talk about this. What if I put that into the Jeep each month and just did some repairs? Um, you know, I got to 175,000 miles. Um, uh, by the way, mine's green. <laughs> mm, yeah, I guess green Jeeps are okay. Had to throw that in there. Um, not that it matters. Um, but I don't know what, I don't know what the lifespan of a thermostat is or the lifespan of a water pump is. Um, my, my Jeep is never overheated and I'm never going to let it overheat. And, uh, I just thought, you know, now... I don't have anything going on this summer. Now's a good time to do the water pump and the thermostat. You know, I, I don't know if you guys remember when you were teenagers, but I was always stuck. My, the water pump's gone on in a couple of vehicles. The car didn't start. I had to walk through the snow. I'm not doing all that. So I just, you know, I thought, you know what? 175,000 miles is enough miles for a thermostat. It's time to replace it. I don't know. What do other people do? Uh, I don't know. I kind of wait until I have an issue. Uh, of course, I've put in yeah. a, I put in a number of thermostats in my vehicle, so it's kinda, unless I wrote down when I did it, it would be kind of hard for me to keep up with how old it was. I certainly, uh, well, thermostats are so so inexpensive and uh, relatively easy to replace. Um, I think that uh, well, the first time that mine was replaced, actually, I had it done, but that's whenever the plastic impellers of the stock uh, water pump. Uh, basically got eaten away and it ran hot right I heard that and it warped ahead and etc cetera, etc cetera. so the water pump was changed the thermostat was changed I think I changed the hoses and, and about two or three months later the radiator uh, got a crack and I had to replace it you know because of the plastic tanks that are on the end so right, and it did that because it overheated right is that right yeah and see I just uh, you know I wouldn't have known 
I listened to your show and I watched a YouTube video not to get a water pump with plastic fence. Yeah, no, certainly not. I got a metal one. Right. And they're so dirt cheap. I mean, 40 bucks, I think, is what I paid for it. Um, and I also got the ho- upper and lower hoses. Um, and, you know, some people say, well, you know, on the thermostat, do we replace the thermostat, the, the gauge, the sensor, the thermostat sensor in there? Well, mine wasn't broken, but I replaced it anyway. That way, there's no mistake in getting the data up to the console. Well, the only caveat I would say to that is uh, I actually changed mine because I was having the running hot on the highway issue, and I changed mine at somebody's suggestion, and it was a bad idea because I basically was using a measuring device, and then in the middle of all the things that I was doing, I changed that measuring device. Just because your thermostat, right. I'm sorry, just because your sensor is is made and fits in the hole doesn't mean it's going to read exactly like the or, or send the exact same data the other one did. Right. So I was it, I was just so irritated because I was seeing things running hotter temperatures than what I was used to. It dawned on me about me changing my my measuring device. So I put the old one back in, and now the temperatures were were back in line with what I remembered seeing them for the past ah. seven years or something. It was a very subtle difference, but I will say this. Uh, after I started reading the OBD2 data, the, the new sensor I put in there was more accurate. But right. my eyes looking at the gauge, not the OBD2 data, just my eyes looking at that gauge, I knew what to expect when it was running right because I'd had it for so long. Putting the old sensor back in it let me know that it was running when it was running like it was uh, had been for so long and, and uh, when it wasn't running like it was supposed to. Did you ever get that? Is yours still doing the creep? Um, kind of, sort of, but no, the, the answer was the radiator. Uh, even though I had that, well, it's a combination answer because a lot of people will get the, um, uh, I always get the letters, uh, out of order, CSF, CFS, uh, radiator. It's a, a brass, uh, copper radiator, uh, quite popular, uh, three row. And I, I changed that to try to resolve the issue that I was having initially and it didn't resolve it. And uh, it wasn't until that I put an aluminum plastic single row uh, radiator in there that I saw the heat creep problem go away. Now, I have measured um, head gases uh, or exhaust gases, uh, like from a cracked head or a, uh, a blown uh, head gasket. I have measured that in the cooling system. So it could be that uh, because aluminum uh, cools better in hotter, wetter environments, like high humidity environments like we have here in the, the Houston area, that driving down the highway, it cools better than what the copper brass did. Hmm. So what I'm hoping to do is, mine actually was uh, was an upcountry package with to- with the towing, and I'm not sure if that if those both come together or not, but I had a, a factory... Um, a tow package install uh, that came with mine. So anyway, it uh, came with a two-row aluminum uh, plastic radiator, and right now I just have a single. So ultimately, what I want to do is get back to that two-row aluminum. But I'm hoping to find a a, a good source for a a two-row all aluminum radiator that isn't you know a thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> No kidding. But this one's working. Um, but this one's working great. I I drove to 
uh, MS Morenberg's uh, little uh, shop in the woods uh, last weekend. And going up, it was around 82 degrees uh, external air temperature, and I was able to drive 70 miles an hour uh, and was hitting, gosh, what was it, uh, 215, which was a little above the 210, but not anywhere oh, close. you're going to hate me then. Well, nowhere close to the, the 230 that I was seeing prior to the radiator change. Oh, my God. Yeah. 230? Yeah. So, and, and then coming back, I think I hit 222, but the external air temp was like 94 degrees. So, uh, and there's some things I've taken off of it, uh, like the, uh, the um, uh, I want to say, yeah, high flow uh, thermostat, thermostat housing, and the high flow uh, um, water pump. All that's going on the new engine, or actually is on the new engine currently. So I think those things will make a difference, but certainly an engine that's not leaking um, head gases uh, or exhaust gases into the water jacket will will certainly improve things. At least that's what my theory is. Well, um, you're probably not going to like me then because uh, I don't. It was 108 out here one day, uh, and mine was right at 210. Yeah, that's great. 108 degrees and. Uh, Right now, it's probably I, the the thermostat I put in there is 195 degree thermostat, and uh, you know they sell uh, a model of thermostat now that when it breaks, it breaks in the open position. Did you know that? Yes, I've heard of those. It, instead of a three dollar thermostat or a four dollar thermostat, it's twelve bucks. Right. But if it does break, it won't have an overheating issue. Yeah, that's the only kind I would say put in there. Isn't that a stant? So, isn't what's isn't that what's the stant thermostats do? I I don't know. You're asking someone that I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I have to look that you guys up. Are so far ahead of me when it comes to mechanics, I'm a little bit behind the curve here. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, everyone keeps telling me just replace the radiator. Just go ahead and replace it. And I haven't replaced it yet. I don't have any leaks from it. I don't have any issues. Uh, so I haven't replaced it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't replace it till you needed to. I mean, you could have one on standby, especially since it's a daily driver. But uh, I don't know that I would replace it just because. Um, you know, let's see what else. What else? I mean, I've had the rear bearings done on it. Um, uh, actually, tomorrow we're getting the steering damper replaced. Uh, well, well, tell tell. Tell everybody what kind of Jeep you have. Obviously, it's a Jeep Cherokee, but what year, what engine, uh, the rear axle. Is it a two-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, et cetera? Uh, 2001 Cherokee Limited XJ. Um, 177,000 miles on it. Uh, I don't know what kind of bearings are in the rear. Do you know what rear, uh, rear axle you have? I have a four-wheel drive. I don't know. I don't know what you're asking a question I don't, I don't have an answer to. No problem. There, um, there are, uh, they go by, uh, uh, you know, they could be I a... I think it's a Dana, but they may, aren't they all Danas? No, no, that was just going to say it could be a Dana 35 or it could be a Chrysler 8.25. Yeah, I think it's a Dana. Okay. So let me ask you this. Do you have uh, uh, ABS brakes? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You'd get that pulsing action, you know, whenever you're trying to stop fast or to, to no, stop. No, I don't have that. Up. No, okay, I'm sorry. Good. No, I don't have that. Well, uh, in the, the 97 plus Jeeps, if you have ABS, then you have a Dana 35. Uh, hmm. if you don't, then you have an opportunity to, to maybe have a Chrysler 8.25. And, and the distinction is, is that the Dana 35 is not very good for 
putting larger tires and wheels on and definitely not uh, great for going off-road because they have a tendency to break. They're, they're not engineered for, well, I would, I'll say this, they're not over-engineered so that you can do uh, a lot of modifications to them. Uh, I don't think that's an issue for you, but uh, just for anybody in the it, audience. I really thought I had the Dana, but you could. You know, it's it's one of those things where you take it in. All right, I'm tired of it making all the grinding noises. Just fix it. Right. <laughs> and that was the the, um, the outer bearings or the the ones uh, inside the, the differential. Uh, they replaced all of them. Well, that's good. That's actually they very did, good. We just did them all. And did that take care of the um, noise for you? Uh, there's still a little bit of a whining noise. Um, but the guy that did it said it's minor and, uh, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, they said other people I've heard a lot worse. Like it's it's whining and striving at us. This is so much, it doesn't even bother me. Um, but, uh, you know, how many miles, um, I guess my concern is like the transmission, how many miles can I get on this transmission? Well, it's an automatic, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. the The AW4 transmission is a uh, a uh, Japanese uh, built engine, and I'm sorry, really? transmission, and it's a, a very well designed thing. Um, the only thing you have to be concerned about is uh, running it too hot. As long as you don't run it hot uh, very often, then and you and you probably haven't because you know you haven't you run 210 degrees on the cooling system, and you know that the the Actually, we run about 200 now. I mean, I now that I've done all that work to it, I run even cooler. Good, and and you know that the the transmission uh, fluid goes through uh, a portion of the radiator, right? Right. So it, it helps uh, heat up the transmission fluid in the winter, and it helps uh, to cool it uh, when it's hot out. So it, right. it it helps you know try to it, it tries to uh, help cool the transmission as well. It, at any rate, so. Uh, the heat, how much heat you've put in the transmission determines how long it'll live. Generally speaking, uh, they go about uh, anywhere from the the distance that you've gone up into about uh, 225,000 miles. Maybe 250. Hmm. Now, there's no, there's no guarantee on any of them. They can go sooner, they can go later. But just generally speaking, they do well over 100,000 but generally not more than, I'd say, 250. There'll be people arguing with me about that. There'll be some that'll say 300,000. The the Jeep 4.0 engine is good for about 300,000. Things can that's happen. That's I have a 4.0. Yeah, things can happen, of course, but generally speaking, that's, you know, with oil, regular oil changes and maintenance, that's what you can go to is 300,000 miles. And I've, I've changed mine every 40,000. In fact, I just had it done, and it shifts without any problems. It's, it's not rough. It's, it's, there's some, I mean, I, 90% of my driving is highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a high school teacher and I drive, you know, if there are some days I put in reverse and drive twice. Once to get to work, once to come home. Oh, that sounds like me. <laughs> and I, I usually so, don't, usually don't drive it on the weekend. It usually sits in the garage. You know, and, uh, I, you know, I, how is it that somebody that never changes their transmission fluid and the transmission doesn't go bad and it's black? How is that? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, my, uh, for whatever reason, I didn't change the, the transmission fluid in mine until it was close to 80,000, 90,000 miles. And um, they did a, a 50-50 deal. A uh, mechanic friend of the family did a 50-50 deal where he took, 
he drained it half and then it and then took half of the transmission fluid that he took out and mixed it in with half of the new transmission fluid simply because it had gone so long without uh, being changed and there's uh, there's uh, clutch material and stuff and in, suspended inside the fluid. Right, right. So he didn't want. Right. He said because he's done things like this before and put all new transmission fluid in it. The transmission was working fine, and then he changed the fluid, and it wouldn't go anywhere. Back, forward, nothing. <laughs> right, because it's such a shock to the system, I think. Well, the the friction that it was using uh, is gone. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it there's just not enough material left on the bands uh, or on the plates to, to make it go. And, and you don't know. There's nothing you can look at um, to see if that's going to be the case or not. So, Anyway, right. my, mine mine was working perfectly fine uh, at 180,000 miles. Uh, the only problem is is that it would not go into overdrive, and and that was it. Kind of started acting up with the overdrive before eventually it just stopped working altogether. So uh, yeah. it just happened real quick, huh? It was a, over a period of about uh, three or four months that uh, that it happened. So. Uh, December of last year, I had mine rebuilt, and I had them go in there and do a lot more to it than just rebuild it. So, and how much did it cost to have it rebuilt? Uh, the the price that they gave me was fourteen hundred dollars, and that was before I started adding stuff to it. <laughs> but that would have been a torque converter, and you know, a whole kit for the inside, new solenoids, a complete rebuild. Uh, the um, the valve body was worn on mine, so that needed to be replaced. So it was all those things for $1,400, which is a god awful lot of money. Yeah, but you know what? That's pretty cheap. I've, uh, I have I had, uh, when I was having the fluid change, I think they gave me an estimate of 2500 Yeah, I paid less than that with a um, uh, uh, shift kit and uh, a uh, heavier-duty torque converter. Um, they, did, they did two or three things to it that I was asking them about. They made suggestions, and I said, yeah, do that, do that, do that, do that. And I think it was up cool. close to 2000 So I shopped around before, and the nice thing is is that it was driving. Uh, it just wouldn't go into overdrive, so my gas mileage was suffering a little bit. Which which reminds me, what kind of gas mileage do you get on yours? I was wondering if you are going to ask that. Are you sitting down? You ready? Sure. 20.6 miles per gallon. Okay, we have a, uh, a long-time XJ Talk member, and he's in, in chat daily. Um, uh, pre-runner, I can't remember the number on there, but pre-runner, his name is John, and he, he'll go on there and put, you know, how many miles he got out of a tank, and um, this equates out to so many miles per gallon, and I always, I've recently started giving him a hard time that uh, I think the last thing I posted was, yeah, but you pulled up next to a drunk laying on the ground the other day, and you had to pull up six feet so you could get out of your Jeep, so... <laughs> The point being right. is, you know, you're, you're low to the ground. Sure, you're going to get good gas mileage. Raise it up right, and get right, 20. Right. Mine is not lifted or anything. Right. <laughs> right. I, and, you know, in the spring, I took the kids all the way to Kentucky with the camper pulling behind it. Oh, what'd you get then? Uh, you know, I didn't check. I, I, I didn't. We're going camping. I didn't, I didn't check. But uh, we went to the Wisconsin Dells. It was four hours. And we got, we checked it then. I got just a hair under 21. So, uh, and I know they... It's a mythical number according to the manual, but... Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, anytime the EPA comes up with a, a, a mileage thing, you it's just not going to be that. It's going to be lower than, than oh, what... Oh, absolutely. So that's really cool. That's really cool. Can you contribute that um, to any work that you've done to it? Any modifications like... Uh, um, you know, the, the thing is, I just try to maintain it. Like, I, I got shocks. You know, I got to a point where I'm like, you know, 
to tell you the truth, the reason I have the Jeep, um, I got divorced, and originally I wanted the Honda Accord because it got better gas mileage. Sure. And I ended up not getting it. I said, fine, take your Honda Accord, I'll take the Jeep. I thought, because I'm going to use it with the kids, I'm going to go camping with it, and I'm glad I, I'm glad I ended up getting it. And uh, ever since then, I've been taking real good care of it. You know, I just had the shocks replaced after 175,000 miles. Didn't even think about replacing them. You know, you're going about your life, and, you know, money's tight. I had those replaced. Well, now I, now I have this kind of death wobble a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that's, that's understandable with that much mileage on the, uh, on the front end, yeah. So I bought the steering damper. We're going to have that replaced tomorrow. I'm hoping that will solve it. Everything else is really tight under there. Um, well, well, tomorrow when this episode comes out, one of the things you need to listen to is the Jeep tip about death wobble. And it's a common misconception. I, and I don't want to ruin it, but the well, actually I'm not ruining it because it's already been heard at this point. Uh, the common misconception is is that the, the steering dampener will uh, be the cause of and the resolution of death wobble. It is not. It, it is oh, something, yeah, it is something that's put on there to try to dampen any death wobble that you may have. The problem is with worn front-end parts. But the good news is uh, all those parts are pretty cheap and pretty easy to replace. Well, and the death wobble, I don't even know if it's officially called death wobble. We hit a bump, and it'll shake left and right a little bit, and I'll break because I get nervous about it, and it goes away. It's very minor. Okay, like well, on the way to the Dells, it probably happened three or four times. And it really wasn't even that big of an issue. But you can tell it shakes left to right a little. Right. Well, let me, let, me, let me point out something to you. It's not called nervous wobble. It's called death wobble, as in I thought or I was re- going to die. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I didn't think I was going to die. If you didn't think you were going to die, it's not death wobble. Now, <laughs> it, it, yeah, I like, I like that. But anyway, the, the neat thing is, is that, that your, your steering stabilizer might actually take care of that. But let me ask you, have, when was the last time you had your, your tires rotated and balanced? Uh, I, about 5,000 miles ago. Okay. So that's one of the first things you got to do is make sure that your tires are, are, have been balanced properly. Now, uh, that's kind of a common thing whenever you hit a bump, and it's basically a harmonic res, uh, resonance that uh, starts occurring with the, the front end parts. And it, it only happens whenever things get to be a little loose. So it allows things to move back and forth. And at a certain, uh, not frequency, but speed, And if you get that resonance set up, it'll start wobbling back and forth, and the steering wheel will jerk back and forth violently, and you know, you'll think you're going to die. And all yeah, you ha- this isn't violent at all. Yeah, all you have to do is change the resonance. And you can do that by slowing down, hitting your brakes, or you can uh, do that by speeding up. Uh, as I was telling Steve in the Jeep Tips par- portion that we uh, is on the front part of this show. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had the courage to speed up. <laughs> no, no, you'll, you won't. It's a natural reaction to push the brake. Yeah, like what the hell's going on and uh, at least slow down. So, yeah. So, anyway, the steering stabilizer might take care of that for you, but it probably would be a good idea to start looking at the front end parts and, and see if you can see any movement in those parts. Well, I also thought maybe an alignment would do good, too. Alignment is definitely a good thing to, to have done. I haven't had that in a long time. And, and that might resolve it too, but with 175,000 miles, you probably need to start looking at replacing some front-end parts. Yeah, I think so too. If, if you never have replaced any, uh, or if they've never been replaced, certainly, yeah, certainly it's, uh, it's, I think it would be time at least to check it. And 
before you get the alignment, it would be better to replace the parts because that's going to possibly change the alignment with those parts put on. All right. So anyway, but, but of course, however you want to do it, this is my, my suggestion to you. Well, I just do a little something every month. You know what I mean? Every month, I, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's got a lot of miles on it. And the thing is, I might put, a, you know, let's say I've, I've probably put $3,000 into it this year in repairs. The rear bearings, the water pump, the thermostat, yada, yada, yada. So what? Because I don't have a car payment. It's been paid off for five years. And it's probably going to last me another five years. Oh, it'll last a long time. Longer than that, huh? Well, is, uh, it just depends on your commitment. I mean, uh, as I mentioned, and you maybe have, have read on xjtalk.com, uh, I'm replacing the engine, and uh, I'm taking the opportunity to, to make it a little bit better, uh, different cam, uh, different intake, so hopefully get a little more performance out of it, a little bit of better gas mileage at the same time, making it breathe better. So uh, my, my investment is going to be substantial. I mean, I'm not, I didn't want to spend two grand to have a transmission rebuilt, and then go another, uh, well, I guess it'd be worth it. At yeah, but what are your options? You don't really have an option if you need the vehicle. Well, my option, is to, my option is to get something else. Well, that's right. But, okay, so if you get a used vehicle of something else, couldn't you have the same problem with that vehicle too? Oh, definitely. But, I mean, I could get a new, I could get back on the treadmill and, and do the new stuff. Uh, I, right. I, I don't have to continue doing the Jeep. So, so my commitment is, and I made it, like I said, several years ago, I'm going to keep this vehicle. So whenever it came time to rebuild the transmission, right. I rebuilt it. Uh, I've got a little, uh, uh, idle, um, miss at, uh, when it's at idle, it runs fine past that, but it concerns me. And I thought, well, at 180,000 miles, uh, that's a lot shorter time frame than what I would expect out of this engine. But instead of tearing into it to try to replace the lifter, that's causing the problem, I'm just going to rebuild the engine, and then we'll take this engine and and rebuild it. So that's what I'm doing. So it really just depends on your commitment. There's other than rust, and you know they make replacement panels. So really, other than rust, everything can be replaced. I don't know if you're aware of it There's or not. Very little rust on my Jeep. Right, but I mean the rust bug could eat it down to the ground, and that, that would be about the only thing that you couldn't uh, put back. But then again, you can. So. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but uh, the uh, Jeep Cherokee um, built from 1984 to 2001, there were almost 3 million of those uh, models made. And a lot of them were used as government vehicles. So there are a lot of parts, whether it be new or used, um, around, and they're going to be around for a very, very long time. So... The Jeep yeah, Cherokee I'm is, of it. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The the Jeep Cherokee is, even though it hasn't been made for eleven years, <laughs> is is still very much a viable uh, vehicle and and a great off road rig, which is not what you're doing with it, but uh, getting people from point A to point B over virtually any terrain. Right. Well, mine's even garage kept. Mine doesn't see. Mine doesn't see the, the beating down sun and the freezing cold winters. It's in the garage. Uh, it's really not exposed to the elements except when I'm at work. Um, and I think that makes a big difference. Oh, it certainly does, uh, especially on the paint. It'll keep that, uh, the paint that they yeah. put on there is very nice. The paint on mine still looks good. But that's what I've um, done with mine. It's been garage kept. Oh, and I, you know, I just try to take care of it. I just, 
I don't want to keep up with the Joneses. I want to do the opposite. I want my neighbor to buy two more vehicles and then two more, and I still haven't gotten rid of it. <laughs> and he you feel, know, and I want and he, him to come over again. And he feels bad for you. Oh, this is just a shame, Rob. You got the same old vehicle. <laughs> yeah, he did, the, he did the same thing with my riding mower. It was kind of funny. And he's a great guy. He is a great guy. Rob, just get rid I got an old wheel horse mower from 1988. And it's part tractor, and I, it's a riding mower. I, or I do my yard with it. And he bought this John Deere mower, which is like $3,500. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with it. But, you know, Rob, just get rid of it. I had to fix something on it that was like wouldn't recharge the battery, the magneto in it. And, uh, oh, just get rid of it. <laughs> no, I'm not. That thing's going to last longer than, than my son wants it. Exactly. And I don't know. It's kind of the throwaway mentality. Um uh, you know, I'll throw stuff away when it makes sense, but uh, uh, I wanted the Jeep for a long time, and, uh, you know, hell, we have three now, so I like it because yeah, I, I like it because the way it's put, I, I like it because the way they're put together, and it makes it real easy to work on. It's very simply made. It does. It's very easy to work on these things. I, I, I know that all of your members can do a water pump and a thermostat, okay? I'm thrilled to death that I can do it. It's a, it's a big I didn't have to take it into a mechanic and pay him $85 an hour for, I don't know, how much is the water pump? If you take it into the dealership, how much do they charge to replace a water pump? Yeah, like three or $400, I think. Three or $400? Yeah, I believe so. And I did it all myself. I think, I, I, you know, all the hoses and everything else, it was 100 bucks maybe. Right. And, you know, when I get all hot and sweaty and it's hot out, I stop. I come in the house in the air conditioning and go out an hour later and finish. And you know what? When things go wrong, which ultimately they do because it's a mechanical device, because you did it, you have a good idea of what it is, what it's going to, and, and mentally you can right. rack up how much it's going to cost and how much time it's going to take and how it fits into your schedule. And you're not taking the vehicle down and leaving it with people that don't care about your vehicle. And they could be wonderful people at the dealership or the mechanics place or whatever, but it's not their vehicle. So they're not going to care about it like you do. So that's the reason why I like working on my own stuff. I don't like the sweating part, right. though. <laughs> right. No, oh, I know. I hate it. It's horrible. And, um, you know, people ask, why don't you just here get something new? Because I know what's been done to this one. I know who's driven it, and I know it hasn't been beaten to hell. Right. Exactly. And I think I can go longer than, I'm going to keep mine more than, you'll get a new one before I even get rid of mine. And, uh, you know, People recognize me when I come down the street now. Oh, yeah, that's Duke. He's got that Jeep. He's had it forever. Um, well, now, if you ever get the bug to start lifting and modifying it, they're really going to talk about you. They're going to think you're hitting your uh, midlife crisis or something. <laughs> Actually, I thought about doing that roof rack that that guy had, that homemade roof rack from uh, the pipe. Yeah, Dalton, 4x4 Electrical Dalton. Conduit. Yeah. I've actually thought about that because you can really customize that to any size you want. Sure, and the neat thing is, going camping, it's perfect for that. You don't have to have a, an off-road right. rig for something like that. It's just a storage right. place. Right, I think that'd be great. And that'll be my next, you know, I try, I don't. I can't do everything at once, but that'll be my next summer project. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, this Jeep will be my son's Jeep when he turns 16 in about six years. I'm gonna. My goal is to keep it. Until he turns sixteen, and then he'll totally destroy it. You know, a teenager will. But you never um, can tell. You never can tell. But it, but at least you'll know what kind of vehicle you, he 
that he's getting. It won't be something that you found in the in the paper or Craigslist and uh, and picked up and just. I can't just think hope. of a more perfect vehicle to give a teenager. Yep. It's a nice SUV, high miles. It's a perfect starter vehicle. Yep, exactly, and it's paid for. So. And, and the I, other thing is, you know how to work on it, word. right? And you know how to work on it, and you can teach him. Right. Well, he has a he had a bicycle. Uh, and, you know, I'm really picky about my kids breaking stuff. And you, ha- you have to get over that when you have kids. You know, Cooper, he takes all my tools. He, he'll leave them in the yard once in a while. And Cooper, just don't leave them in the yard so they get all rusty. Well, he has a bike, you know, and kids throw their bikes on the ground. And, you know, that rubber coating that's on the outside of the handlebars. Right. Well, he rode up along my bike one day, uh, along the Jeep one day, and put a nice big scratch in it with the handlebar. And I said, this Jeep is going to be yours when you're 16, so if you keep doing that, it's going to be really ugly. He's never done it again. Right. Not since. He's like, really? Oh. <laughs> oh I didn't know that. <laughs> well, I want to thank Rob uh, for being on the uh, show again and contacting us about being an interviewee on xjtalk.com show. I really enjoyed it, and uh, you'll, uh, you'll get to hear the uh, second part of his interview next week. So, uh, hoping you're enjoying these interviews and would really like to hear what you have to, to say and think about uh, your Jeep. Maybe some interesting stories, uh, funny or not, sad. Uh, I know we recently had a, a gentleman roll his, uh, his Jeep. He was out Jeeping uh, alone, uh, at least uh, one Jeep. I think his uh, wife or girlfriend was with him. And uh, we'd like to get him on here to talk about his, uh, his experience. But uh, everybody, my point is everybody has an interesting story to tell, even if it's just talking about your Jeep and what your plans are. So give it some thought. We'd love to have you on the show. Uh, you can contact us at interview at xjtalk.com. You can uh, send me a private message. Uh, I am Mudderoy, M-U-D-D-E-R-O-Y, as in mud, like what some people like to drive through. Some don't. Uh, Mudderoy on xjtalk.com to send me a private message. Or you can use our 24-hour by 7-day-a-week voice call line, 530-675-4102. 530-675-4102. Now, keep in mind, there's no reason to be nervous about this. It's just like the interview you were hearing. It's just a conversation between two people. So give it a thought. Love to have you on. Uh, Famous or not, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, Everybody has a story to tell. So don't forget about uh, visiting xjtalk.com, of course. Uh, Don't forget about our other sites, wranglertalk.com, didadit.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. And even YouTube. So until next week, this is Tony Motoroy on XJTalk.com wishing you a very happy week and, uh, well, no rollovers. XJTalk.com. It's where you go when you're not off-road.